Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Would you agree that we're all creatures of habit? I just did a habit. I have my jacket open, and when I come up to the pulpit, I always button up my jacket. It's a habit. And in the meantime, we'll bleed a little bit. <laughs> uh, we become accustomed to the things um, that we do the same way. They, they just We get accustomed to doing them, and then they become this habit for us. Uh, for us and all I have to do is think about uh, our own personal ritual of getting up in the morning. Think about how you get up in the morning. May, uh, we have our alarm clock for some reason is set really loud. I think Gloria does that to make sure I get up first, shut the alarm off. So on my side of the bed. I tell her she needs her own because then she can have her own tradition instead of waking me up first. <laughs> that alarm goes off and I am up and I am out of bed. Boy, and I, I shut it off and I hit the bathroom and, and then begins that, boy, that ritual. I get my uh, floss out, I floss my teeth, I get my toothbrush, and I sit on the stool that's in the bathroom there and I just I fall asleep some of the times where I pray and let that power, you know, power toothbrush pretty great. If you don't have one, you need to get one. Man, you just sit there and let it do the work for you. You know, I kind of like that. And, and it's traditions that uh, we wind up developing in our lives. And think about when you put your socks on. You put the same sock on, the same foot first. Boy, I, I would venture most of us probably do. There's some oddities among us. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but I know I do that. I put on the uh, right sock first, and then I put on the left sock, then I put the right shoe on, then I put the left shoe on, then I tie the right shoe, then I tie the left shoe, and then I go out the door. Boy, it just seems over and over that uh, I am into this tradition. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that because they can help to make us feel comfortable, and it can simplify our life quite a bit. We do the same thing with church, though. We like a certain routine. Boy, I broke routine this morning purposely broke routine we read the scripture in the beginning i was also going to do and i didn't want to throw john off too much he was having some technological things going on this morning which i'm having right now <laughs> and uh we'll take a, a momentary break
But we do the same thing. And, and there's nothing wrong with order. In, in fact, if you look at God, God is a God of order. You look at creation, you see a God of order. And, and you look at how he uh, developed the, the commandments and then how he developed the rituals of the early uh, uh, Jewish nation. Boy, he is a God of order. He wants things done certain ways. And he's a God of order in our own life. Psalms 37, verse 23, uh, says that the steps of a man are established by the Lord. The steps of a man, woman, children, are established by the Lord. Are we plugged in, John? Okay, we'll try this. Oh, Thanks, John. I didn't even see that one. Okay. <laughs> so, even God orders our steps. Man, God is a God that, that likes things put in that order. And if we continue to think about that, we'll find that there's a lot of significance in the traditions that, that we see lined out in the Bible. But we sometimes can take on those things that we desire and we begin to make them traditions and, and to step outside of God. Uh, some things are, uh, have become almost holy, almost unchangeable. When those things are changed, people get upset. Boy, changing the way the service goes. Uh, I was going to, as well today, uh, do the offering right up in the beginning. Because, you know, uh, actually it's a good time to do the offering. This way, we... Uh, don't think you're paying the pastor for the message. And the pastors don't begin to feel like, well, if I do a good message, then the, the people are going to give good money to the church. Yeah, some of those things, they, they weigh on my mind sometimes because we get this tradition of how we look at things. When those things are changed and people get upset, man, we feel we somehow have flaunted the commandment of God. Somehow, boy, we have put God out of order. We've done things differently. And, man, we've never done things differently. Tradition. <clears throat> I've known people to get upset when you switch the piano. When I first came here, the piano was over there. And, and then, boy, we moved the piano back there. Now we have a grand piano, and it's the only place it fits. It really helped tradition. Because, <laughs> because now we have it in a spot that's more convenient for all of us. Uh, it's amazing... Uh, the baggage that we can carry and build up into the church. And it doesn't take long to do that. In fact, they say in Baptist life, if you do it twice, it's become a tradition. Now, that's not necessarily true. I, I think it takes at least four times. <laughs> we all have traditions, and you, uh, I want you to think of your own. What traditions do you have? I've shared just a couple. You know, I get up, and uh, boy, and then I leave the bathroom, and I go out there, and I make, cup, make the coffee put the cereal in the bowl, and then have my quiet time. And then I go back and chop up my fruit and put that in my bowl. And Boy, those are just routines, and they become traditions that we do. So I, to take a moment. Uh, and here's a simple test to help you determine uh, what we consider essential in the church. So complete this sentence. It wouldn't be church without. It wouldn't be church without. Now, my nephew's stepdaughter says it wouldn't be church with music because she goes to a church that uh, uh, they don't believe in music. And uh, so I, I find it interesting. Just 
Those things that, that we need to consider. And it gives us an idea of the things that we deem important in church life. So you have an outline in your Bible, and we're going to pick it up with there. We've looked at the scripture already. Uh, on that outline, the first uh, Roman numeral is the truth of tradition. The truth of tradition, and when right is wrong. Bill will have that up there in a moment. When right is wrong. I think. <laughs> oh, technology and us is a little, little behind this morning here. When right is wrong, and Bill, we said he first looked at it, I said, man, pastor, you spelt right wrong. No, that's the right that I want. When right, ritual, right things. Boy, when they, when right is right is our first uh, Roman numeral. And, and let me say at the onset that not all tradition is bad. You know, so you might think, well, man, pastor's just going to rip the church apart today. No, I'm going to let the Lord teach us what he wants us to learn today from this passage of Scripture. So uh, let's look at what's true of tradition and, and when we can also say when right is right. Uh, some traditions are really important for us. They're valuable in communicating to us the truth about God and about ourselves. I was going to play a, a movie clip this morning, except it's 7 minutes and 45 seconds long. But you would probably know it very well. It's a movie that we really like in our home, and I think Amanda took it with her. Fiddler on the Roof. Boy, and you know how it starts, don't you? It's probably already going through your mind. Boy, Tevi's up there, and he, and he says, uh, how do we keep our balance? How do you keep your balance? I put my shoes on the same way. I keep balance that way. I like balance. And, and so he says, tradition. Tradition. And, and then he goes on and, and you know, uh, who day and night must scramble for a living, you know, and he talks about traditions and traditions. And then he said, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you how. I don't know. <laughs> Isn't that the way it is? Boy, we, we, we kind of think, oh, yeah, I, I know, and then we kind of reflect back. You know, I'm not sure when the church started taking the offerings at the end of the service. And you know, I have to tell you, I don't like it a lot. Why don't I like it? It's the same reason we don't do announcements from the pulpit very often. Boy, you do announcements and you take away from what's happening. We're now focusing on the announcements. That's why we put them up on the wall before service uh, most of the time, because we'll focus on those announcements. And we got our mind now, okay, I got to plan this, I got to plan that. So we quit reading them, we have them in the bulletin. If you want to know what's going on, look at the bulletin, because it will let you know those things. And it's the same way with the offering, I think, sometimes. Boy, it's traditional. We do it at the end of the service, and then we say goodbye, and now what are we focused on? The offering? Are we remembering to focus on God? And when people take an issue with the church, what do they often take issue with? With money. With money. So those are some of the things that I think can really get in our way. And, and we don't know when the tradition started. So tradition is meant to speak of the reality behind tradition. What's the reality behind it? In the church, we have certain traditions uh, that are symbols of a higher reality. Do you understand that? Some traditions that are symbols of a higher reality. In fact, there's traditions that Jesus is the one that initiated and, and brought forth for us. On your outline, we have the rite of the rite, the ritual of baptism. 
Now that's a tradition. Baptism, one of the two church ordinances, could certainly be called a tradition that we have. Uh, it's a ceremony, a rite of passage, a symbol of a higher reality. Baptism's important to us, and we all believe that there is certainly a method to baptism. Boy, we would say that, boy, baptism is by immersion. That's what we believe. We're going to be doing baptisms on the 21st. We're going to have a picnic in the park uh, after first service or second service. And then we're going to do one service that day. One service that day. And, uh, boy, then we're going to go to the park and we're going to have baptisms and, and share a meal together. And why are we doing it at the park? Glory says our baptistry broke. No, the people that I'm baptizing, the three people, want to be baptized in the river. I really enjoy that because people are floating down on the river, and usually we do it at where they get out, and people gather around, and there's people hanging out there. And they'll ask questions. What's going on? What's that all about? And that gives us an opportunity to talk to them about baptism, talk to them about the Lord. So there, there, it's a good part about it, uh, and we believe that it's the correct way. But while we hold uh, to the importance of baptism, we recognize that its only meaning is that we have made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Baptism doesn't save you. And, and we hold to the truth of that from Scripture, uh, that it's not that. It, it points to the reality of our commitment to Christ, that higher reality. Boy, here we're being baptized, we're going under the water, but what we're really saying is, is that we have made this commitment to Jesus Christ, and we want the world to know. It's symbolic of the saving work of Christ in our life. Uh, it doesn't save, it's merely a symbol of what God has already done, and it's a beautiful symbol. It's a wonderful tradition, but apart from what it symbolizes, it means nothing. I was baptized as a, a baby. Got sprinkled on, and I'm sure I cried. I've never seen a baby not cry when they do that. Rude. <laughs> then I got baptized as an adult. But I got baptized because I was cornered by a pastor who just really pushed and pushed. A, friend, a relative of a friend. And you know what? That baptism didn't mean anything to me. And then I got baptized when I became a believer, and it symbolized everything that I wanted it to. I wanted the world to know that I was a believer. Be on your outline, the Lord's Supper is another tradition in the church which is good. And Jesus himself instituted that ordinance, and he encouraged us to observe it. But the Lord's Supper is a dead ceremony unless it points to a higher reality. Unless it points to the reality that Christ died on the cross for my sins. If it doesn't point to that, and, it, and that's not the meaning that we hold on to, then it, it becomes nothing. You know, that's like we can come and worship. We can sing all the songs in the hymnal, front to back. And if we don't know Christ, they don't mean anything. And if our heart's not right, if there's sin in our life, that worship, Christ says, is, is useless. If we have anger in our hearts towards somebody around us, and we come to the altar, Jesus says, boy, leave your, your sacrifices at the altar. Go get those relationships right. Then come back and offer it. Then come back and worship. Boy, he really has a lot to say. Boy, Lord's Supper is a great tradition. I love it. I like to call it come to the table of remembrance because that's what it's about. We're to remember what Christ has done. If we fail to come remembering, then we will lose its meaning in our lives. Uh, living traditions like the Lord's table and baptism only remain alive 
when we see beyond the outward ceremony and we see the higher reality behind it. Good traditions can tell us who God is. That's what uh, uh, Tevi says in uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Boy, they tell us who God is and they, they tell us who we are. Those are good things. And, and as long as they tell us who God is and they help us to see who we are, then those traditions are beneficial for us because they help us to commune with God and to testify to the world around us. Isn't that what the Christian life is made up of? Talking to God, glorifying God, and then the, the Great Commission going to tell the world who he is in our lives. Uh, there are times, though, when right is right, but there are also times when right is wrong. When ritual is wrong, Roman numeral number two on your outline, it's the tragedy of tradition when right is wrong. And so back to Mark chapter one, uh, 7, verses 1 through 5, uh, tra the tragedy of, the, of tradition in the church uh, experiences are all too often. We get caught up in traditions that we hold on to, and when we don't follow them or somebody different comes in, and they say, well, why do we do that? And we get upset. Then, then it becomes a, a wrong thing. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, 1 through 5, The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands. That is, unwashed, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they clear, carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders." And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the, to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with impure hands? Pharisees and the scribes were upset with Jesus. They were upset about his disciples because his disciples had a disregard for the traditions of the elders. And, and they confront Jesus over that. Uh, they're not observing it, the uh, elders' ritual traditions about mealtime. Boy, they get together and uh, they begin washing their hands ceremonially and, and getting them clean. And the Pharisees notice that they're not doing this. It's interesting how there always are keepers of traditions, isn't it? There always are keepers of tradition in, in the church. They keep their eye out for those who violate them. And we forget about grace in the process. You see, the disciple or the Pharisees, they forgot about grace. And, and you'll see that over and over when Jesus confronts them with the woes twos, the Pharisees. Man, they have totally disregarded grace. And everything became law and everything became ritual for them. So A, on your outline, let's consider how these traditions were started. For the Jews, there are a number of important sets of laws. And the first, extremely important, is uh, the Ten Commandments, given by God. Boy, that's given by God, and those things are to be followed. In fact, when you become a believer, Ten Commandments didn't get done away with, folks. They're still there. They are still guidelines to help us walk the narrow path. And then there came the Torah. The Torah we know as the first five books of Moses and, and the books of the law. And boy, that is of God. Boy, given by the Holy Spirit to Moses to write down for God's people. But then there uh, had arose a body of interpretation of the law, which incorporated into a written document known as the Mishnah. 
And that was the first written redaction, the first written document of the Jewish oral tradition called the Oral Torah. At Jesus' time, uh, it was the body of oral tradition that was passed on, one generation to the next. So that's how we're tradition. It started, boy, they wanted to help the people to grasp the law, and to do that, they began to institute more laws. Isn't it crazy? If you, can't, if you cannot obey ten, how are you going to pay 600 laws? I mean, I have a hard enough time with just the ten of them, don't you? Well, if we're honest, we do. <laughs> and then if we add all these other things, boy, you totally bind the people up, and you know what? We see God as a God of law, a God of shoulds and should not, and we don't see the God of grace who gave us unmerited favor. I had a discussion at the dumpster this week with a fellow from the university. He said to me, uh, Friday, Pastor Chris, can, I, I don't understand this whole thing of stewardship. And he goes to a, a different church. And so we stood out there and we began talking about stewardship. And I then shared with him about the, the stewardship of the manifold grace of God. And you see, the, the Pharisees lost sight of being stewards of the manifold grace of God. They wanted to become stewards of the law and then, boy, make the people follow the law, be keepers of the law. And you know what? It, it didn't take them any closer to God. It really drove them further away from God. About the third or fourth century before Christ, the religious leaders and scribes began to spell out just what were the implications and the applications of the law. The ceremonial washing was one of those applications which they did for ceremonial cleanness, but that was for who? The priest. You see, boy, when, when they were told it was not the whole congregation, it was the priest had to be clean, and then the people were ceremonially clean, but not in the same order that the priest going into the tabernacle. Before the Jews could eat, they would pour water over their hands with their fingers pointed upward. I thought a lot about this. And then after they washed their hands the first time, see, then they turned their hands upside down and they poured water. By the way, that water came from a jar that was guarded to make sure that it was pure. Isn't that crazy? All the steps they went into to try to do that and they missed God in the process. Who else washes their hands this way? If you ever worked in a hospital, doctors do. You, you, you watch some of the movies. I've, I've worked in the hospital. You watch some of the movies, and the doctors go in, they stand at the sink, and they're, they're washing their hands, and, and then they put them upside down. So they would wash the germs off. Well, the Jewish people, that, that was how they washed off the uncleanness. And, and that became the ritual. That became the way that you had to wash your hands before you would eat. Or if you were out in the town and you came back, you had to do that to make sure that all impurities were off so that you could be right with God. You know what? If, if all the rest of our lives were right, that would be pretty good, wouldn't it? Wouldn't be a bad idea to wash your hands well. In fact, we have signs in the bathroom in, in businesses. Wash your hands before you go out. Those are good things. But boy, when they start to move us away from God, they become bad things. <clears throat> Beyond your outline, Jesus and man-made traditions, Mark verse 7, 6 through 8. Uh, he condemned the traditions when they became more important than the things that they represented. Are the traditions more important than what they represent for us? He rejected the man-made traditions because they had lost their meaning. They were meaningless. And, and look what he says, verse 6. And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, 
but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as, as doctrine the precepts of men, neglecting the commandments of God, you hold to the traditions of men. Jesus saw through their dead traditions. They were dead. And he saw through them. He saw that they were more concerned with outward things than they were concerned about what really counted. What are you concerned about today? You concerned with outward appearances? Boy, you know, we could say, man, if the pastor's not dressed just right, are we concerned about that? Went to my brother-in-law and sister. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ...in-law's church, and pastor came up, and he had a sport jacket on. He had jeans that were fairly uh, bleached out, and he had a T-shirt on. Well, he had a sport jacket on, and, and so my brother-in-law, who is a glorious brother, is a pastor. He and I talked about that. Is that get in the way of the people? And you know, I decided a long time ago that I wanted to dress, and I, I first heard this when I became a Christian, give God your best. And so I, I thought about that. When I dressed down, then Amanda, our daughter, said, Dad, I surely like when you wear a suit and tie. I think that just honors God. Not telling you you have to wear suit and ties, so don't misunderstand that. But it was important to my daughter. And I thought, man, if my daughter thought that was important, you know what? I could do that. And now it's not that I never take my jacket off if I get too hot up here. Well, I won't today because I have this thing in my pocket. <laughs> but it's interesting how we get caught up and, and we have to be just right. Sometimes people question me, well, why does that person dress that way? Don't worry about how they're dressing. Look at how you're honoring God. You know, uh, I told a, a young man recently, boy, when you go to this church and, and you don't like the, the way some people are worshiping, close your eyes and worship. You know, it, boy, it, it helps me. I don't get distracted by anybody around me. When, and in fact, if you come up to say something during worship time, you will probably scare me a bit. And I will jump and you will probably jump because I tend to worship with my eyes closed. And that's so I'm not bothered by anybody else around. I'm not thinking about them. I just want to think about, where am I with the Lord? That's how we should be. Their worship was vain and dead because they exalted traditions and they over the status of doctrine. They exalted tradition over the status of doctrine. And that was a spiritual condition. And it was a sad condition indeed. And considering Matthew's account of that situation, boy, Jesus even makes it more clear. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 and 26, which I think I have on a slide up there. Matthew 23, 25 and 26. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and, of, and the dish, <clears throat> but inside they are full of uh, robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, you clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Jesus cut through the superficiality of outward observances in order to stress to them that the inside was more important. 
Boy, it's what's inside of us that's more important to God, not the things that are outside. Jesus, and we see it in Scripture over and over, and the Father is more concerned about the heart condition than about the hand condition. God is more concerned about your heart this morning than about our hands and about our dress and about our hair and about everything else that we might put in there. God isn't so worried about that, but he is concerned about your and my heart condition this morning. The heart of Christianity is indeed the heart. The heart of Christianity is indeed the heart. What does it say in Isaiah? Boy, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. The heart can be deceitful. Why does David in Psalms 139, boy, ask the Holy Spirit to search him, to try him? Because he understood that, boy, my heart is deceptive. I will lie to myself. But if I ask the Holy Spirit to search me, boy, I'm going to get the truth. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to get the truth of where I really am at in my life. The prophet Samuel had to remind Jesse, David's father, <clears throat> that man looks at the outward appearance, but what does God look at? At the heart. And we could move and, and add to the heart that it's the heart and the mind. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, they believed everything was in the heart. But we know that, boy, our heart pumps in, in our mind. Our heart's what we hold dear. But what's in our mind? What are we thinking? How are we living? What's our thought life like? And David understood that when he asked uh, God in Psalms 51.10 to create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You see, create in me a clean heart. Boy, if my heart's dirty, if my heart's away from God, I don't have a right spirit in me. So God, create in me a clean heart. Take care of this heart condition, this mind condition. I really enjoy T.W. Hunter. I can't say I really enjoy it. It's a great study. It's tough. The mind of Christ. Man, if you've never done it, you want to do a discipleship, we will offer it. Vicky will do it. <laughs> it is tough because he takes you step by step through looking at what's the condition of your mind and how, what was Christ. And we're to have the mind of Christ. It's an incredible study to help us look at where we're at in our spiritual lives. Jesus also encountered another tradition that the people like to hide behind. And we find that in Mark chapter 7, verses 9 through 13. And it'll be up on the wall in the New International. Reads a little bit easier. Where traditions become excuses to avoid serving God. Jesus said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Boy, you sidestep. I like that. That's why I, I read it in the New Living. You sidestep God's law. Boy, you cancel out the word of God. You know, those are important words there for us to really grasp. Do we do that? Do we sometimes? Vicky, boy, it was a great illustration on talking about the kings. Boy, what did they do? They sidestepped the word of God. Man, tear down all those things, and they forgot the high places. They sidestepped it. Why? It really was for tradition. 
Why did they build the high places originally? So that the people wouldn't have to go far. And they had the high places. They could go worship there. Make it bad. You can worship anywhere you want. You can go out in the mountains and worship God. You could camp and worship God. But the question is, do you? You see, the bottom line is, do we? Or do we go out and we forget about God and we just kind of camp? You know, I get up and I want my, and I get the campfire going. And what do I do? You know, tradition, coffee. <laughs> I cannot hardly have a quiet time without coffee. I think they go hand in hand together, you know. So I put on the coffee and then I, I'll, I'll sit down and I have a quiet time. Do we do that? Do we take time to thank God for the beautiful camping area that we're at? Boy, if you have an RV, we have a little pop-up camper. Yeah, do you thank God for what he's given you? We take so much for granted that God has blessed us with. We, it kind of has become just a, a tradition. Well, we go camping on this weekend. Where's God? We have to look at what our hearts really like. In the Ten Commandments, God said to them, Honor your father and mother. Part of the honor obviously meant to take care of them. Boy, when they, when they were older, when they were not able to make a living for themselves, take care of your parents. But those that didn't want to take care of them, boy, the Pharisees, they found a way to get around it. Just claim everything you have as giving it to God, Corban. You know what? It wouldn't be bad if that's really what they did. But that became a way to sidestep it, to cancel out the word of God, and then they can manipulate it later and not really give it to God. Or, well, I will do this here, and then I will, that's because I'm honoring God. And we find ways to get around things. And it was their tradition. What they were doing was using those things for themselves and disregarding their responsibility to God and to their parents. And that's the height, folks, of hypocrisy. The height of hypocrisy. Boy, when we say we're doing this, we say we're believers, and we live opposite, it's hypocrisy in our lives. No way to get around it. Boy, I have to deal with that in my own life. I don't, can't just point at anybody out in the, the congregation. I have to look at me, because the Holy Spirit searches me, and he tries me. And sometimes, boy, it's difficult to deal with me, and I have to throw myself before the Lord's grace. Thank God for grace, that God just doesn't beat us to death. They have found a law which would serve them well, and they established the tradition that they could actually get around the commandments of God. It was not only hypocrisy, folks, it was self-deception, because they actually thought they were doing right. And isn't that the way we get in the church today? We actually think we're doing right. Man, there, people don't want to have choruses. You know what? Choruses are good. If it's all choruses, I think we miss out on a lot of other teaching. What are the hymns? Open the hymnal and then start reading the hymns. I do that in my quiet time a lot. I read through the hymns and I have my private worship with God. Some of the hymns are, are vertical to God. But most of the hymns are horizontal. They're to encourage you and I. You and I encouraging one another to sing praises to God to see what God has done. A lot of the choruses today are purely vertical. Exalting the Lord, I exalt thee. You know, and, and so that's lifting up God. Is either of them wrong? Not a bit. Are they both good? Absolutely. Can we make choruses, tradition, and disregard the doctrines that we learn from in the hymns? Absolutely. And so yeah, they'll become a tradition. And is it the right thing? 
You see, there's to be a balance. I, I like that about Fiddler on the Roof. Why do we have traditions? Balance. Man, they give us balance. And so they can be really good, but we have to ask ourselves, is right wrong or is right right? You see, when right is wrong, it's dead wrong. It's interesting how we can pervert real meaning of Christianity and do it in the name of God. Roman numeral number three, last of the Roman numerals on your uh, outline. The test of tradition. The test of tradition. When right is relevant. When it's relevant. When it's important to us. Well, and this is the ultimate test. And how do we determine when uh, the tradition is right or wrong? Well, we, we've seen how at times right can be right. We've seen how it can be wrong. Now looking at being relative. And we've already said, what's the heart of Christianity? The heart. And, and so, boy, we have to look at what does it say about our heart? Jesus is after transformation in our inner person. That inner me. And he cares more about what's inside than what uh, we appear like on the outside. In fact, Jesus said you can eat anything. It's not what you put in you that defiles you. What defiles you? What comes out? He says when you put it in, eventually you eliminate it. It's what comes out of our heart, what comes out of our mind. Those are the things that defile us. So that's what he's concerned about. He's concerned about what's in our heart. He cares more about the inner man than the outward. He cares more about our heart condition than the observant of, observance of religious tradition. So we might say that the ultimate test of tradition is, does it deal with our heart trouble? Does it deal with our heart? When things are truly remind us of God, who he is and who we are, they are good. When they truly remind us of who God is and who we are, they are good. And when traditions are established with the, which assist us in knowing God, in communing with God, and worshiping God, then they're good. You see, those are the tests of relevance. Are they helping me to see God, who he is? Boy, J.R. Packer wrote a book a long time ago, Knowing God, an incredible book. Man, getting to know God. Isn't that what it's all about? And so if we're getting to know him, that's good. If we're just getting to know man's traditions and man's laws, I pray that for my son-in-law, who's a lawyer. I pray all the time that he will honor God and that he will know what's right or wrong according to Scripture and then observe the laws of the land. Because you know what? It's what Scripture says that is predominantly important. If our traditions help us deal with our heart trouble, then they help us to know God. And according to God, it's what Christianity is all about. We must always be aware, or always beware, lest we find ourselves worshiping traditions versus worshiping God. Are we finding fault with what other people do, or are we worshiping God? Gloria picked up a great book years ago, Worshiping in the Pew. Boy, how to worship in spite of what goes on around us. You know, and it's dealing with children and things, but it's an incredible book on all the idea of coming and worshiping God and putting aside those things. So lastly, I'm going to give you a formula. Here's a formula that will be up on the wall on how to know right from wrong. Roman, uh, or 1 Corinthians 6.12, the first part of it says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. So the question to ask yourself, is it helpful physically, mentally, and spiritually? Boy, is it helpful? Evaluate that. 
plug in what you're doing in your own life today. Is it helpful for you spiritually? Is it helpful for you mentally, emotionally? And then the second thing, second part of the formula, 1 Corinthians 6.12, the second part of it, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So what's the question? I think the question becomes very obvious. Does it bring power, bring me under its power? Does what I'm doing bring me under its power? So, everything is permissible for me. Is it bringing me under its power or is it showing me God? Am I living under the power of God? Why do addictions happen? Boy, just think about it. Boy, uh, everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial. Boy, you can have a glass of wine. You can have a beer. <laughs> he said it in church. Well, Scripture doesn't say you can't. Scripture says don't get drunk. Don't be indulging in it. So it's not that you can't. But don't indulge. It's permissible, but is it beneficial? Well, doctor says glass of wine is good. That's what the heart doctor told me, because my family has a heart condition. I found I could get the same thing from grape juice. So I can drink grape juice and I get the same benefits. I, there's other things, and it's not that I believe it's wrong. It's just for me, boy, I, I don't do it because you might not see me as above reproach. And so that's an important thing. It's permissible, but I will not be mastered by it. Boy, my family, many people in my family are mastered by alcohol. Mastered by drugs. Mastered by all sorts of things in life. And so I have to ask, is it bringing me under its power? The third thing, boy, right from wrong, 1 Corinthians 8.13. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall in sin. Now, well, we say, oh, that's just talking about meat. But you know what? It's talking about a whole lot of other things in our life. Are we causing somebody else to stumble? Does my behavior cause another person to stumble? Does my attitude cause another person to stumble? So the question is, to know if it's right or wrong, does it hurt others? Is what I'm doing hurting others? When the doctor told me about their drinking wine, I was youth pastor in Burley. There was one liquor store that I can remember in Burley. And I said, now, you know, let me ask you a question. How do you think the youth would feel if they seen the youth pastor walking out of the liquor store with a brown paper bag, holding it by the neck? <laughs> They're thinking, oh, see the pastor? He drinks, the youth pastor drinks, it's okay. And he said, well, why don't you go to Twin? <laughs> Yeah, you got to love that. Yeah, so I'm going to go all the way over to Twin to buy a bottle of wine so I can have a better heart. You know what? I can trust God with my heart. I really can. And when God does this, you know, he's doing this, my heart's pumping. When he does that, it's all over anyway. I don't have to worry about it because I'm in the hand of God. And when my work on earth is done, God will do that. He'll just quit pumping my heart. Why do I believe that? Because he breathed the breath of God into my life. And when he takes that breath of God out of my life, then it's done. And, and so I don't have to worry about those things. Does my behavior hurt others? Folks, I, I, I love my family, but I would not drink ever. I would never have a glass of wine with them because in their minds it would justify drinking. I love them too much, and I won't do that. The fourth thing, the fourth part of the formula for how to know right from wrong, 1 Corinthians 10.31 so whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, you know, I love the way Paul adds that. He gives in food and drink, and then he goes, and whatever else you do. 
<laughs> Boy, there's no gray areas in God. And whatever else you do, do what? Do it to the glory of God. Can you figure out what the next question is? Pretty simple, isn't it? Does it glorify God? Does it glorify God? We have to evaluate our traditions. You know, if a person comes in, and, and, and I've said this before, and we had young men come in that were, well, they were stoned, and they brought their beers in with them to church, and they were hiding behind their skateboard while they drank them. Then I realized they were drinking beer in, in service, and I said, man, Lord, and I'm preaching at the same time. I said, Lord, you're going to have to show me how to take care of this, because I don't want them to run off. I want them to stay. God provided a way to do that. He provided a golden opportunity. When one of them said, I need to know about that, and I could have somebody take them into my office and talk to them where it was an appropriate time to do that. Do we throw them out of the church because they did that? Do we throw somebody out of the church that because, boy, you could tell that person's a street walker by the way they dress, we know what their profession is, and some morning God leads that person to church? Do we throw them out? Because, man, you don't look like us. You're not dressed according to tradition. Or do we love them? See, I learned a long time now, and I continue to learn it. God is big enough to handle God's things. And what God wants from me is to be a good steward of the manifold grace of God. He wants us to love people and to care. He wants us to take them where they're at and to take them to where they need to be. That's really the Christian discipleship. That's what they did with me when I became a Christian. They never told me to take off the Buddha that was around my neck, the Anka in my ear. They never told me you can't wear shorts to church, especially them embroidered and patched shorts. And you know you should wear shoes when you come to church and not flip-flops all the time. Nobody ever said that to me. You know what they did? They loved me. They talked to me. They cared about me. They shared Jesus with me. And then one day, God said, Chris, why are you wearing that jewelry that's worshiping other gods? And I thought, oh, man, I'm going to give them to somebody else because, you know, I don't need them. He said, oh, yeah, that's real good. Give them to somebody else so they have false gods to worship. So I threw them in the trash. And then I, I began to change some of the way I dressed, not because I was ever pressured. And so I don't want you to feel pressured that I'm saying you have to live this way. What I'm saying is ask the Holy Spirit to search you, to try you, to see what's in your heart, to show you that you then can offer it as a sacrifice to God. God, I want to give this to you, this freedom, this right, this sin. Man, even our sins he wants us. In fact, he took them all on the cross, didn't he? I want to give this to you right now, Lord, because, boy, it is not good for me. It's not helpful for me spiritually, mentally, or physically. It, 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 does, it brings me under its power. It, it, it hurts other people, and it doesn't glorify you. I hope it makes sense to you. Traditions aren't bad if they help us to know God, if, if they don't keep people away from God. But, you know, when they start keeping people away, when we start observing just the traditions, if we miss God, then we have missed God. Don't want to be there too often, do we? Let's pray. Almighty God, we come before your throne of grace and mercy to thank you, Lord. I thank you for the traditions that we have that are good. Baptism, boy, uh, the Lord's Supper. Lord, marriage, a commandment, a tradition that we have. Lord, uh, making the vows before you. Lord, the vows are good if we keep them. 
But if they're just tradition, and that's we're just saying them for tradition's sake, and don't mean them with our heart, they're useless. Oh, Lord, help us to grasp the truth of your word. Help us to understand your confrontation with the Pharisees. And, Lord, the fact that you love them, and you confronted them because you love them, you discipline those that you love. Oh, Lord, don't let us miss that. Now, Lord, speak to us <clears throat> in this time of invitation, this time of application, of applying your word to our lives. So search us and try us and show us what is in our heart, what needs to be changed, what needs to be held on to. As John plays, would you take that time to go before the throne to ask the Lord to indeed search you? And then would you give yourself to the Lord fully?